It's the Blue Bloods coming back at you guys with another huge episode today. We're joined by a very special guest today on the podcast, guys. It's the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats, Mr. Tom Leach. He's with us today to talk all things Kentucky football. And we just want to say we appreciate you joining us today, Tom. Happy to do it. Not a, this current circumstances, there's not a whole lot else going on. right right and so I want to start by looking at last season of course for the Wildcats and I think to say injuries changed the season for them would be an understatement here but the program ended off with a great uh, for me a spectacular win over Virginia Tech in the Belt Bowl what were your biggest takeaways from last season and how big was that last win in the bowl game to cap the season yeah, it was a um, the, the kind of the signature win is, uh, that uh, they you know really needed to, to make it you know, a, a memorable season. I think given the the circumstances, uh, what they did was amazing to reinvent themselves. Uh, but they had um, just come up short against Tennessee, one of their big rivals. They played really well at Georgia, but uh, came up a little short there. And so those were a couple of opportunities for a, a real signature win. They, uh, they beat Louisville pretty handily, but uh, Louisville uh, uh, was uh, you know, coming out of a down period, I think. So um, I think they needed um, the bowl win to make, have kind of something to hang their hat on for the season beyond just some, some nice numbers. And so to get the win the way that they did coming from behind uh, was uh, – a nice cherry on top of the Sunday for the season. Right. And, you know, we talked about how they overcome some very, uh, I guess, circumstances they did not foresee. But I want to stick with last year and shift to one of the more impressive players. He actually was my bowl season MVP, and that's Lynn Bowden Jr. I mean, he started at quarterback, not his normal position throughout the second half of the season. What made Bowden so special and dynamic? And did his willingness to put – his comfort aside for the team really rally this team throughout the season? Yeah, I think he probably hit on something there. I think uh, he was very much, uh, you know, a a team guy in the way he approached it. He could have said that, you know, he was hurting his draft stock by moving from receiver or, um, you know, risking greater injury, et cetera. And he was all, and he was lobbying to to do uh, the quarterback role. And uh, I think as far as his skill set, um, really uh, bright. I mean, he had to manage a lot. To, uh, I mean, people look at it and say, well, he, you know, he, he just ran the same play every time. Or everybody knew what was coming. Well, uh, they, they, it's, uh, it's looking at it very simplistically because they did a lot of different formations. Yeah, they ran some of the same plays, but out of a lot of different looks, which is, enabled, which is what enabled them to be as successful as they were, as they were. But Lynn had to manage that from the quarterback position and, uh, it makes sure guys were lined up correctly, start guys in motion at the right time, uh, make the right reads. And then uh, just, I think his uh, vision uh, must be incredible. He uh, was just outstanding at, you know, making cuts and um, just in an open space. He was kind of like a, a point guard running a fast break. A lot of times it felt like. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and last year, you know, through this ad, through this adversity that Zach mentioned um, just a few moments ago, uh, this team seemed to stick together really well, and they rose above that adversity. Um, outside of Bowden, was there a player that kind of stepped up and shined that maybe surprised you or maybe uh, somebody that a lot of Kentucky fans wouldn't have uh, thought 
you know, would stick up and be a, I don't know how to say this, um, like, like the backbone of this team. Yeah, I don't know if there was any one guy uh, like, uh, like Lynn, but I think maybe groups, uh, the secondary, for example, Kentucky finished in the top five in the nation in pass defense, and um, that secondary was a big question mark. They had lost several guys to the NFL, had a lot of new faces, lost one of their best players, Devontae Robinson, in the back end of the defense to a, an injury in preseason. And so um, that was a, a, a big question mark. And those guys, I think, uh, far exceeded what expectations were. Uh, so they did a good job of uh, not letting teams get home run plays against them because um, they had lost um, you know, a guy like Josh Allen up front as well. And Josh Pascal was coming off an injury. Uh, so I think the secondary just as a group, no one individual. And, um, you know, the offensive line, I think, was uh, expected to be a strength. And uh, if anything, they even uh, were, were better than expected. So uh, running back was kind of a committee thing. But I would say start, you know, probably the secondary as a group. And then maybe the offensive line was the other key. Right. And so now I kind of want to shift to the head of the program, um, Coach Mark Stoops. I mean, he's really taken this program to new heights. I mean, even won the SEC Head Coach of the Year Award in 2018. What makes Stoops such a perfect fit in Lexington? And what do you think his keys to success are for this program? Well, when he came, there was a talk that he had a very detailed plan that he presented in his uh, job interview with Mitch Barnhart, the AD. And so it was clearly a a job that he had thought a lot about and that, um, you know, he wanted the job as much as Kentucky wanted him, which I think uh, certainly is uh, a a good situation to to have it that way from the school's perspective. The other thing with Mark is he probably is uh, uniquely qualified to – be in this position at Kentucky because Kentucky uh, doesn't produce the number of division one prospects that the states, the other states in the SEC do. Uh, They get, you know, Florida and and Texas, and then probably Georgia's next are just massive amounts, hundreds upon hundreds of D1 prospects. And, you know, Kentucky's maybe, uh, you know, fewer than, than 50. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but it's, um, there's just not usually enough. If you just dominated the state, you still wouldn't be enough uh, Division One talent. But if you look at a map and you draw a line around Kentucky and then include Ohio, the state of Ohio, well, then with uh, some of the large metropolitan areas you have in Ohio on the population base, you look at the number of Division I prospects that are produced by the state of Ohio and add that to Kentucky, then you have a competitive number. And Ohio State can only get 25. They may get the top 25, but they can only get 25. Well, Stoops has been able to do that. Um, He's from Youngstown. His uh, best friend he brought with him is his chief recruiter, Vince Marrow, who's also the tight ends coach. And uh, Vince is a tremendous recruiter, also from Ohio. So, uh, you know, they, they have effectively made Kentucky's base, the state of, states of Kentucky and Ohio. And so that gives them, you know, uh, a, a base that allows them to compete. And then they've had success. So now they've been able to build on that base and carve out some success recruiting-wise in other areas. And that 
was a, kind of a unique set of circumstances for these particular guys and this particular, you know, this particular staff, head coach in particular, and this job. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and like I said, yes, Coach Stoops really did lead Kentucky to this big influx in recruiting, um, maybe around the States, maybe not specifically in Kentucky. But not only that, I, I feel like he's done a lot for the program in just winning. I mean, he led Kentucky to their first winning as Florida since 1986 and the first win in Gainesville since 1979. Uh, how big was this win for the program, do you think? And do you think it was a huge turning point for this program? Yeah, it was a massive uh, win. I, I think the, they were, were already turning, but it was just something that, you know, it was an embarrassing streak to have not beaten Florida in such a long time. So to get that record off the books was like a, an albatross hanging around their neck that uh, they got to remove. Uh, eased a lot of, uh, I think, pressure. The players and coaches didn't have to hear about the streak, the streak all the time after they uh, finally beat the Gators. And plus, came on the heels of a, of a game the year before that they really gave away where they should have won against Florida. So uh, that was a, you know, it was a, it was certainly, uh, you can make the case, the biggest win of the Stoops era. But I think the, you know, things started to turn really in 2016 when they qualified for the first bowl in the stretch that they've been in now. But yeah, the, the win in Florida was, was massive just to get that streak off the books and then to kind of, uh, I think, propel them on to the, uh, the 10 win season that they had, which hadn't been done here since the late 70s. Right, and so I kind of want to shift to next season and you address some um, recruiting and getting players to come to Kentucky. And I want to address one of the biggest moves of the all season because I'm dying to know the perspective of someone from Lexington and the hype around the city. I mean, Joey Gatewood comes in transferring from Auburn, um, and this hits home for me. I'm an Auburn graduate. I was really high on Gatewood when he committed to Auburn and was really upset when he decided to leave. I mean, how big was this? for Kentucky to get Gatewood on campus. And what are, what are your first impressions of Gatewood and what he's going to bring to the Wildcats? Well, he's a tremendous uh, just uh, physical specimen. Uh, big, big you know, young man. Looks, you know, doesn't look like your typical quarterback. Looks like he might be more like a tight end or a, you know, an outside linebacker. Um, but I think the, the big for Kentucky at the moment, the biggest quarterback issue is the health of, of Terry Wilson, the – uh, incumbent because he's coming off a knee injury and uh, I think uh, the coaches certainly felt was poised to have a big year last season and uh, was cut short early by an injury so he just recently tweeted out that he's a hundred percent healthy now and um, I think that's the the biggest quarterback topic here and then there was uh, there's a, a local kid whose dad played at Kentucky uh, the young man's name's Bo Allen and so anytime there's an in-state kid, that creates a lot of buzz. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of equal parts Gatewood and, and Allen as far as, uh, you know, the buzz factor. I think it's really, as I said, more interest in Wilson uh, in terms of any quarterback conversation just because he's coming off an injury and he's the guy that's expected to be the starter. But yeah, they, for sure. Uh, you know, I think if all goes well, Wilson plays this year, does well. And then, uh, you know, Gatewood and Allen compete for the job. And, you know, Gatewood would have certainly more experience. And then you'd have uh, maybe a situation where Gatewood could take the job. I think would have a chance to have it for a couple of years and then could 
you know, maybe Allen red shirts this year, plays behind Gatewood for a year and then takes over. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of if, if, if down three or four years down the road, but they finally uh, have a kind of a, a nice pecking order there set up at quarterback seemingly. Right. Right. And speaking about that, actually, um, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'll go ahead and move on actually. Um, so, you know, to talk about next season, uh, Bowden Jr. and some of the big names are now off to the NFL. Uh, do you think you could give us and some of our listeners uh, some names to look out for in the coming seasons? Quentin Bohanna is one that comes to mind, a uh, nose guard that earned a starting job over some veterans as a true freshman, uh, has battled a few injury issues. If he stays healthy, I think he's capable of having an all-SEC caliber year. Uh, you know, won't get a lot of sacks because he plays on the nose and but if he's as good as I think he, he will be, then he will uh, create sack opportunities for other players, one of them being uh, Boogie Watson. If you look at his numbers, they're uh, kind of similar to this point to what Josh Allen's were through his junior season. Now, Boogie's got to take on the challenge of elevating his game the same way Josh did, but I think there's a, a high expectation that uh, Boogie Watson could be a uh, a much more prominent player on the defense. Um, offensively, you know, it's not, not the glamour position, the offensive line, but uh, that's really where their, their strength lies. Um, they have arguably one of the top two or three offensive lines, I think, at the SEC. Um, I was talking with Cole Kubelik on my radio show today, who's former offensive lineman at Auburn and uh, an SEC network analyst now. And he thinks Drake Jackson is uh, it's either him or the center at Oklahoma as the best in the nation. So, you know, Drake's a, a certainly a name to watch, but, you know, he doesn't, won't carry the ball, won't catch the ball. So, um, you know, if you are just the uh, casual fan, you won't see him show up in the stats, but Drake and those other guys that will join him on that offensive line uh, are a big part of, will be a big part of the success that I think Kentucky could have this season. Right, and you talk about some success Kentucky may have. I mean, next season, this team has some huge road games. I mean, against opponents who have a little bit of hype surrounding them, such as Florida, Auburn, Louisville, Tennessee. What game, even even if it's not one of these, are you circling on the Wildcats schedule to be the biggest or, let's just say, the most important game of the season for this team? Well, the Kentucky fans, I think, believe that their team is capable of competing for the East title. And I think the players certainly uh, believe that coaches do with the, the, all the experience that they have. And especially in these challenging circumstances, having a, a roster with a lot of experience, I think is going to be uh, very helpful and having a, you know, veteran coaching staff and some continuity on the staff. Uh, all that is our factors that Kentucky has going for it that I think will serve it well in these times that, you know, we're going through with the, the virus and all. So all that being said, you have to say Florida, if you aspire to win the East, because you could get a big upper hand in that race early if you were to win at Florida. Now, uh, not many people at the moment are going to give them much chance to do that. So you could, uh, and you could still get to Atlanta without uh, doing that, but um, it certainly becomes much more challenging. So you know, if, uh, if you're talking from that perspective, which is, I think, the perspective that the players want to be talking from, you'd have to say um, uh, Florida. And then um, 
as far as the road games. And then, you know, uh, Tennessee and uh, Louisville, you know, Louisville's a in-state rival. Um, you know, there's, you know, you, you, uh, you want to continue to control that series, which they have done in recent years. And Tennessee is a series in which they need to get more wins, frankly. They have been in a position where it was there for the taking several times in the last five, six, seven years, and they haven't took it <laughs> nearly often enough. And so if you want to talk about moving up in the SEC, it's, you know, it's time to, to take care of business there. And balls are getting a lot of buzz and a lot more than Kentucky is. So if you want to get that respect, you have to go out on the field and earn it by, you know, winning a game like that, especially on the road. Uh, and the road could be a lot less challenging if there's not many fans in the stands. So we still don't know how that's going to play out. Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that. Um, so moving on, you know, talk about uh, next season a little bit more. Um, what are your expectations for this Kentucky team? Uh, what do you think their ceiling is? And I'm sure you don't want to talk about the floor too much, but what could be the possible floor? Well, I, I think they'll, uh, I think they're at a stage where I'd be surprised if they didn't win seven, say, as far as a floor. Um, and then um, as far as a, a ceiling, I, I think it's, it's legitimate to con- I think they could contend for the East title. So they probably, you know, uh, couldn't uh, take certainly any more than two losses to have a, even a prayer at that and likely one. So, um, you know, if, if they want to do that, you're probably going to have to, you know, win uh, 10 or, or 11 to um, be a contender to get to Atlanta. And, um, you know, that's, that's a big ask. It's not something Kentucky's uh, done. So, that's, I think that's, I think it's possible uh, with all the experience they have. A lot depends on how well Terry is uh, coming back from this injury. If he is healthy, um, then um, I think that gives him a, a big boost. So that's, you know, at the upper end of the, of the spectrum, somewhere in between there is probably, you know, the, the realistic version, but uh, I don't think it's a pipe dream to, to think that uh, they could make a run to it on Atlanta. So, um, uh, that's, that's kind of the range I think that uh, you're looking at. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I think Kentucky's going to compete more than most people would believe, but I kind of want to shift into your time as the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats, your time calling these games. I mean, you've been involved with the network since, you know, the late eighties, early nineties. And so, I mean, you've been the voice since the, since I believe 1997, what has been your favorite memory and or game that you've ever called in your career? For Kentucky football, I think it would probably be that citrus bowl game. Um, a couple of seasons ago where they achieved a 10th victory, which hadn't been done since 1977, did it in a new year's day bowl game, beating Penn state, which was favored. And one of the touchdowns, uh, deciding touchdowns, came from one of the star players, Benny Snell. And on the, the touchdown run, he set the all-time school rushing record. So there's a, a lot of good factors there for the broadcaster of a particular team to have uh, converged together in, in a given game. Uh, the next one probably would be in uh, when Rich Brooks was here and had it going uh, at, at the – highest level they beat number one LSU uh, in three overtimes so just a tremendously tense uh, exciting game uh, that 
you know, you love as a broadcaster when you uh, have so many big plays made in a game. Um, and then the first year I was doing Kentucky football in 97, they beat Alabama. And Tim Couch was the quarterback here for the first time in 75 years. So uh, those would uh, probably be the, the three top of game top games of on my list for football in that order. Yeah, I, I, I definitely remember that LSU game. I, I was a Baton Rouge and a big Tigers fan. But um, can you speak a little bit on the environment of Kroger Field and the atmosphere of Lexington on game day? Uh, I mean, what makes it so special? And what do you, why do you think it's one of the more underrated environments in the SEC? Yeah, when Kentucky has it going well, uh, it is, I think, can be an intimidating environment. Now, it has been sporadic in terms of having it going well over the years, but Stoops is on a good roll right now. I think back to uh, a couple of years ago when Georgia came in to play, <coughs> excuse me, in November with the Eastern division title on the line. If Kentucky uh, won that game, they would have had the tiebreaker over Georgia and would have been in a position to get to Atlanta for the first time. And uh, just, a, you know, it was just an electricity in the in the uh, city all week long, and that went to uh, the highest level on on game day all throughout the day. Uh, that LSU game uh, was uh, incredible. So there's a great passion for Kentucky football here. It just hasn't been rewarded all that often over the years. And I know there are a lot of longtime Kentucky fans, uh, people that I've worked with and around, that believe that the the passion could be every bit as strong for football as it is for basketball if the success happens for football. Right. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget the year Benny Snow was competing. There were some great environments to just based on what I saw on TV um, at Kroger field. And I mean, you've called a lot of games in your career. You've been all over the country calling games for uh, at probably every SEC stadium, but at this point. So, I mean, outside of Kentucky, what's SEC environment is your favorite and why? I like Georgia, I think probably the best. Uh, a little of that is, is selfish in that as a broadcaster, our vantage point at Sanford Stadium is between the two decks, whereas at places like Florida and Tennessee, we're up at the, the top. And so much, much higher up. So you have a, a flatter, closer to the field vantage point. So that's just a, you know, from a selfish perspective as a broadcaster. But uh, the, the stadium's right in the heart of campus. Uh, so you um, get that quintessential college football Saturday feel uh, there. A lot of great traditions at uh, Georgia. Uh, there's the uh, kind of bridge up over the uh, lower bowl in one of the end zones where students and fans will, will gather and can uh, watch. And um, it's uh, right, in, you know, right in the heart of campus, and it's a great college town. So uh, I think that's a lot of reasons uh, that's uh, the one I would put at the, uh, at the top of the list. Um, and, you know, uh, the you know, people there are always you know, very nice. Of course, they're used to winning over Kentucky, so maybe that's why they're always really nice because they expect to win. But I think in, in all seriousness, they're you know, just wonderful folks, and uh, so it's always a, a pleasant trip. Uh, and uh, just not too many victories for Kentucky uh, over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
I, I have to ask, you know, you, you hear uh, a lot of sports fans, they'll call Kentucky a basketball school. And I think that's mostly run true in the past. But I think times are being turned. I think the football program's really, uh, I mean, when I, when I say they've, they've made an upturn, I think that's an understatement. Um, you mentioned earlier, I mean, they're now contending for a spot in the SEC championship, really. Um, so what do you see in the future um, for this program in terms of success? And could you see Kentucky being a legitimate contender in NCAA football? I mean, I'm talking about playoff implications here. And what do you think that it'll take to bring them there? Well, you, if you can win, if you win the SEC, you're a playoff contender. <laughs> so uh, that goes hand in hand. Um, but the, the real question for Kentucky is, yeah, I, I think they can certainly do it once they were, you know, playing for it two years ago against Georgia. If they've been able to win the game, they uh, have been there uh, playing in the championship game. And if you win that, uh, you're in the playoff. But uh, the question is, can they do it? Uh, year in and year out, and that's still to be determined. Uh, I always looked at it, didn't want to put a ceiling on what I, I thought Kentucky could do because you, they'd never been able to found, find the right guy to, to make a, a significant uh, climb beyond uh, a certain level. Um, Rich Brooks got awful, awfully close, um, but um, I always thought that for Kentucky, it's kind of like uh, – in a battle fighting for a piece of ground, say on a hill, you get to a spot and then you have to hold that spot. So for Kentucky, that's, you know, getting ahead of some of their SEC East rivals. And so consistently being at least in the middle of the pack of the SEC, and I think they're there now, then you've got to beat Tennessee more regularly. You've got to win your share against Florida. You've got to beat Georgia once in a while and, uh, you know, occasionally get to Atlanta. And then if you can do that, can you then do that with some level of consistency? And that's still, you know, those latter things are still to be determined. Um, but uh, I think that's kind of how you have to, to look at it. You have to get to a, a higher spot on the ladder and then be able to hold on to it in this league. And that's, uh, you know, very difficult. Missouri won a couple of division titles when they first came in, and then they've regressed. They weren't able to stay there. So um, it's a lot easier said than done. Um, but all biggest chores recruiting and they're making a lot of headway there, but still they're not getting, you know, the, uh, the quantity of, of talent that, you know, Alabama say, and Georgia do, but they've significantly closed the gap. Can they uh, close it uh, a great deal more? That's we'll, we'll have to see. That's what it'll take. Right. And as we approach 30 minutes here, we got one last question for you and, I felt like we had to honor one of the best ever suit up for the Kentucky Wildcats. I wish we could have had you on, you know, cl like more, I guess more recent, more recently, but I mean, you've seen some outstanding players in your time as the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats. And I want to ask you about one individual who did mean a lot to the Lexington community and uh, Jared Lorenzen. I mean, after his career was over, he returned to the Kentucky sports network. And I just want like, just to end the show off, I wanted to honor um, his legacy. And just, could you speak on his impact on the community and why he was beloved by so many in Lexington and across the just entire football community? There's so many reasons. Um, you know, he, he had a bigger than life personality. Uh, just, you know, a, a, uh, a great uh, guy to know. Just a, a great, you know, friend, if you were a friend of his to, uh, to have as a friend, uh, amazingly talented, uh, uh, gifted, you know, athletically, uh, great, you know, great athleticism, which 
people will look at his body type and, and scoff at that, but uh, tremendous uh, agility with his, his feet, had uh, an incredibly strong arm. Um, he was the kind of guy, and, you know, a couple of coaches, I, uh, when Coach Morris first came in, and I think maybe even when Coach Brooks first got here, I think they both looked at Jared and, and thought, well, he's, uh, you know, he's not getting himself in the kind of shape that we want him to be in. He can't be a, a, our leader as our quarterback, and they would try to go to another direction. And Jared would always find his way back because his way to lead was when he walked in the huddle, Every his teammates thought they were better. Uh, he, he was going to make a play. He was going to do something. He just had, had that quality that uh, you know, great uh, talents have to inspire that kind of uh, confidence in their teammates and then to have the ability to, to do it, to, to make the plays. Um, you know, his best season was really when he was in his best shape in, in 02, and unfortunately Kentucky was on probation. They won seven games and it probably should have been eight or nine. Uh, then, um, you know, his, his uh, first year, he started as a redshirt freshman and um, they kind of threw him into the fire. And um, then Coach Mummy lost his job after Jared's first year. You know, if, if Coach Mummy had been able to, to stay around, Jared would have put up numbers that um, nobody would ever catch, I think, in the SEC in, in terms of passing. But uh, whatever Jared was asked to do, he did it. He was always a great teammate. Um, so just so many things to like about him. And he was a Kentucky kid, so that in, uh, endeared him to the Kentucky fans as well. He loved the state, loved the school, uh, and just made so many just, you know, incredible plays that he was kind of like a, you know, bigger-than-life character. And um, it was uh, such a shame to lose him so early. Yeah, for sure. And I know it's a tough topic to talk about, so I definitely appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that and everything. I know well, I wanted to bring you know, it to our listeners. It was, it, it's actually, you know, there's he, it's sad that he, especially for his family, that uh, he, uh, we lost him so young. But in terms of rem, you know, reminiscing about him, there are so many good memories that Jared provided people that it's, you know, I think you, you, you can't help but have a smile come to your face when you talk about uh, Jared. Right, for sure. I, I know how he, I know how much he meant to everyone who he interacted with, especially throughout his football career, especially at Kentucky. So I definitely appreciate that. But that would that is a wrap on this interview, guys. I just want to personally say thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Tom. And we definitely, definitely look forward to having you in the future, especially if we can get a season in this year. Maybe it might be spring, but definitely in the future, we look forward to having you back on. Well, enjoyed it, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, they'll make it to Atlanta one of these days. That would be a big story, certainly around these parts and throughout the, the SEC. So we'd have plenty to talk about then. That's that's for sure. I'll be rooting for you guys. My team's in the West, so I can I can root for <laughs> Kentucky endlessly, and I do not like Georgia. So <laughs> we can we could definitely do that. But guys, we will be back next week with more episodes um and we'll get in touch with you guys about that you guys know the social media all that kind of stuff so until then guys we are out